0: Hello all, there is the world as we know it and the world that we hope for. And often it's the effort of a few courageous doers which makes the difference. These are the change makers who rewrite status quo, making life better for all of us. These people deserve recognition, not only for their work, but also because there is a strong need at our end to be inspired by them. If you're wondering who they are, what drives them, how they think and how they go about pursuing a collective good, you're in luck. So grab a cup of chai and listen to them break it down for all of us. This is me, Amalik, in conversations with some amazing people from all walks of life on Chai for Good. Thank you. Welcome to Chai for Good, a podcast by Chai Points Community Program iRock. iRock stands for iRun on Chai. Guys, my name is Amleek, and I'm excited to have Miss Sairi Chahel as our guest. I have been reading about Sairi and her women-centric community platform Shiroz, for quite some time, and was happily curious when I got a chance to speak to her about our podcast. A very easy conversation floored, and I quickly got a glimpse into her passions, and beliefs. I have to admit, and Sairi, this is for you also to know that when you told me about your 6.30 a.m. big cup of chai ritual, it totally got me on your side. So um, to first give the users a brief background on Sairi, Sairi Chahal is the founder and CEO of Shiros, which is a career-centric community for women. Shiros is a community-based platform that offers support resources, opportunities, and interactions through sheroes.com and the Sheroes app exclusively for women. Sairi has been credited with helping build conversations about the future of work in Indian society. She's on the board of directors of Paytm Payments Bank and Millen Foundation, as well as an ambassador for Girls X Tech Foundation. Sairi holds an MPhil for... Uh, sorry, an MPhil from Jawaharlal Nehru University as well as a PGDBM degree from Institute of Management Technology, Ghaziabad. And it was a pleasure for me to know that uh, um, during her JNU days, she focused on Russian literature. So I'm guessing Tolstoy, Toys Whiskey and all those uh, fancy guys for me. She's a fellow of the Ananta Aspen's Kamal Nayan Bajaj Fellowship and a member of the Aspen Global Leadership Network. It's a delight to have you with us, Sairi. Uh, Welcome to Chai for Good.
1: Thank you so much for having me here. I'm just delighted that I run on Chai is a thing with you guys. It's <laughs> So I have happily adopted it. You know, I, I run on Chai too.
0: <laughs> That's great to um, know. That's great to know. Excited
1: to be here. Thank you.
0: You know, we hope to cover a lot in a short period. So let me please get going with our icebreaker section, Chai Talkies. You know, we want our users to for a, first get a simple glimpse of you as a person. So, Sari, please, which one is your favorite movie and why? And likewise, your favorite book and why?
1: All right. So my favorite book is a book called Simple Abundance. Uh, it's actually a daily journal. So... It's a book by a lady called Sarah Ben Bratnak and it's been on my bedside for almost a decade now, and maybe more than a decade. And uh, it's my go-to book. It's it's really a and as the title says, it's simple abundance. It's it's really a book to read once one page a day before you go to bed, you know. And uh, yeah. And my favorite movie is um, Up in the Air by George Clooney, and uh, the reason I love it a lot is, uh, one is, of you know, the whole Clooney persona, the Spartan lifestyle, the no check-in baggage ever, I have no check-in baggage ever, so I so hard relate to it. And second is, it's a sales job, you know, that guy is a sales guy, and as a founder, I relate to it a lot, like just go and, you know, sell every day of your life. (laughs) I love it.
0: And about uh, the book, why do you like that book? I know, I mean, it must mean something really serious to you if it's been by your bedside for the last 10 years.
1: Yes. So I think um, truth is a lot of life is very simple, but simple is also hard, you know, like, uh, so if you distill a lot of, you know, life's learnings, they're actually very, very you know, they're very, very simple. If you look at the Gita or if you look at the Granth Sahib. So simple abundance really takes small things, you know, uh, whether it's change of seasons or whether it is talking to your children or and turns them into these very simple conversations. It's, it's really a journal. I mean, for somebody who doesn't write a journal, this is a journal that's already been written. So all you have to do is go read it. So, yeah, it's a book, book that grounds you. So I think founders need a lot of that. I mean, of course, a lot of things ground you and humble you, but uh, it's a roller coaster. So you need to go back to some form of simplicity every day.
0: And you told me about your book, Reading Habit, and how over the years you've cut it down because of uh, the surgery that you had in your eye. So are you an audio book Listener now, and uh, how have you sort of continued with that stream? So
1: I switched to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I think conversations have become my go-to instead of you know starting books. Uh, I do do listen to books on Audible, but I you know old school, so still prefer a book when when I uh, really want to read one, and uh, I. I think I came from a place of incessant reading, you know. Like my dad, when I was a kid, my dad would see "Tum books khati ho kya? Like he, <laughs> he could never buy me enough books. So when I started working, the first indulgence I gave myself was to buy books every month. And I think if you if you see my house or the studio where I work, it's just teeming with books. So I've cut down a little bit, but it's still not like you know enough uh and uh so i have started doing a lot more podcasts a uh, lot more conversations and i think uh in some ways the truth is books are also noise right i mean it's also stimulation you get new ideas a little bit of my path where i am is also to just be right like you don't need something all the time right? like if you know you you don't have to be consuming all the time. You can just be, you can maybe reflect on what you know. And, you know, there is, you know, 45 years of knowing life and knowledge and learning and doing. So there's a lot to assimilate. The truth is, you know, Uh, Silence is great. In fact, a friend of mine just went on a silence retreat and I totally missed not going there. But that's a little bit of where I am.
0: Sairi, on future of work, you know, you have been championing thoughts about workplace and Indian society in general, and I guess more from a gender diversity perspective. Yeah very keen to understand uh, your take on work from home as a concept, you know, the post-COVID phenomena, the COVID phenomena, which seems to be lingering even after COVID is receding.
1: Absolutely. What
0: do you think about its impact on workplace social dynamics on one side, and the personal life-side flexibility that it probably gives. What's your take on it as an individual, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO? I'd love to hear
1: your thoughts on this. Absolutely. I I have like a whole thesis on this. Maybe I could write a book on this. But the simplest take is, look, when work was initially designed in our life, the industrial nature of work as we know it today, it was designed where men went to the shop floor and women stayed at home. And... Uh, in some ways, that muscle memory didn't go away you know, easily. You know, some some economies, some countries did a much better job of it. Look at Scandinavia, for example. But even highly industrialized countries like U.S. or Japan are still struggling with the fundamentals of, of how human beings work. Uh, and what that did was it kept women away from the workplace for a lot of reasons that were not just merit. You know, and uh, and I think the mobility of being able to work from where you are is almost right now in some countries. You know, the countries that are calling work from home are right. And and of course, not all work can be work from home, but we all live in a knowledge economy. We all live in a, a world where a lot of work now literally sits inside our computers, you know, and our computers are transportable. So there needs to be a cognizant of the fact that this opens up opportunities to a lot of people who are not in the room, who are not in the city, who are not in the vicinity. And, and of course, we are an internet world today. We are all connected. COVID kind of accelerated that. So as an organization, a lot of our work has been uh, to make sure workplaces become more and more uh, equal in a lot of ways, starting with access and then, of course, there's a whole lot of journey there. The other big trend in the world today is a lot of work is entrepreneurial, you know. So so if you see at the world in last 30 years, uh, most countries have taken, you know, a massive liberalization. What that has meant that state-sponsored sponsored employment has not grown. Lot of economies, in spite of growing very much, like India is a classic case of growing but no job growth. You know, so jobless growth is a reality of the world we live in. What that means is a lot of people are now micro entrepreneurs. A lot of people are self-employed. A lot of people are gig workers. A lot of people are knowledge workers. And I think this is a totally new dynamic from when you compare it to initial industrial age. So our idea of work still continues to be industrial, but the work as we know it and the worker as we know it has fundamentally changed, you know. So when, when COVID happened, actually in December, Jan 2020, I was in Singapore and China a lot and I kind of like suspected something's brewing here. And in Feb 2020, we actually moved to working from home as a company. Before anybody went working from home, um, we also run a business called Ma- Mars by Shiros which stands for Managed Remote Solutions, and it's a it's a workforce on cloud platform that we set up almost five years ago before remote was really as remote as we know it today. And clearly, this business was, a, you know, a, a dark sheep, an ugly duckling, because the adoption of remote work was so hard and people kept thinking that they are doing remote work to do a favor to the women and it it is only in post covid world that they realize that having work ready smart talented people available to you in a in a very very uh, easy to work framework is a gift and of course, this business is now pretty much our fastest growing business. But what we realized is that the world is fundamentally changed. And I think this genie is not going back in the bottle, especially for the ones where the nature of work allows you to. So think software, think, you know, SaaS companies, think a lot of uh, technology first companies, gaming companies, uh, and a whole lot of other service centered businesses. And I think we are going to be dealing with this a lot where where a lot of smart people will start designing their lives. So this is where a lot of entrepreneurial thinking comes in, a lot of entrepreneurial living comes in. And they're saying, hey, I choose to live in Bali and I'm going to code four days a week and I'm going to be you know, designing my life. So customization of work-life integration is happening. Uh, customization of what I want to learn. People are multi-potentialite and the traditional workplace never sort of recognized that. You are always... A marketing person or an HR person or an ex-person. I think today a lot of young people are saying, hey, I want to learn psychology, but I also want to learn uh, gaming on the side, or I want to learn uh, a new language on the side. And I think we are seeing a lot of that happen. So we're going to live in a more and more blended world, which in which remote work will continue to have a fair advantage because of the because of the inherent efficiencies it brings to the table. Costs and access and access to talent and the continual upgrade of talent. You know, remote workers will upgrade themselves a lot more than workers who are not not uh, remote. And I think these are some of the trends I, I can totally see like you know playing out the next couple of years.
0: Very interesting. So in your mind, is there a balance? Or do you think the schism is really wide? I mean, do you think people need to come back to workplace to really maximize the social dynamics aspect of a workplace? Is that a function of a size of a company also? Or do you think it's something which is pervasive completely?
1: Uh, I think a lot will depend on nature and the culture of the company. You know, so a lot of companies who can align with remote work will continue to do so because what that brings to the table is uh, a whole new way of working. you know. And we've seen it now. I mean, tons of Silicon Valley majors have gone completely remote for foreseeable future. And they've gone, uh, uh, you know, they've completely changed how they work, you know, companies like Airbnb. And it 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 is a massive shift. What that means is instead of that socializing happening in office face-to-face, the good old way, the HR leading it, I think it will fundamentally change how we sort of meet our co-workers it could be you know global hubs for large companies it's global hubs or it is different ways to interact the fact is that a lot of our socializing today is also uh, online we probably know more people on twitter and uh, snapchat than we you know you know in real life we do, probably don't know who our next door neighbor is so humans have fundamentally Embedded themselves on the internet, and there's a whole generation to whom metaverse is not new, or they it's it's very native to them. Kids who've grown up with Roblox and uh, Minecrafts, to them, this is the world, you know. And of course, there is a value to human interaction the way we know it, going on dates or you know having having coffees with your colleagues or hanging out. But a lot of workplace interaction is also very staged, you know, and. And I think that's why it's falling apart so quickly. That's why the need to hold on, because the natural pull is very little, you know. And I think we will see a lot of this tango between the industrial way of working and the way a lot of future is being designed. And as more and more young people who have never been to a workplace get into it, you will see this axis, you know, shift quite a bit.
0: Fascinating. Let me go on to the next stage, you know, and this is Tad philosophical, really, of an expectation from your side. So, you know, Saidi, there's this fun English couplet. Ducks, when they sleep, at each other they peep. Even in your sleep, look before you leap. So that's sort of one school of thought, right? And then, um, as a Punjabi from Muzaffarpur, UP, UB, I'm hoping that you will appreciate uh, Baba Bullesha, who said, Ishq, soj ke kita, the ki kita? they'll land the Now these are two streams of startup and maybe even life pursuits. What are your thoughts on this?
1: You know, there was this James Webb telescope picture a couple of days on the internet, uh, showing showing how beautiful and big our galaxy is. And I think a lot of us, I mean, while we know this factually that we are so tiny and just a dot in this universe, it kind of like was a collective knowing that we are dots moment, I think when that picture went live. So I think, um, I mean, as a person, I am really, uh, I think I'll, I'll go with Baba Bulisha. I'm really driven by um, a lot of my heart and a lot of what uh, inspires me and what I think I'd like to do with my life. You know, so it's not calculated. It's not, um, it's, it's not algorithmic. It's not an Excel sheet. It's really driven by uh, a very, very strong gut feel. Uh, but at the same time, I think uh, the other belief I have is, uh, you know, to quote Madhushala here, it says, Raha ek chala chal pa which, you know, of course, in the startup world, we call uh, playing the long game and the power of compounding and the power of relationships. So to me, I think a lot of my life has been that. i spent a decade building what I call women's internet when it was not even a thing. You know, there's not a single company in India, you know, and for the longest time, people kept telling me, you work with women, you must be an NGO. So to me, that was uh, really sort of um, doing the thing that feels right to you because you can see things that others can't and hopefully, you hope that some days they will see the same things too, but... uh, To me it was pretty clear. It's it's a little bit like my thesis on work. My first TED talk on future of work and feminization of work was in 2011, if I'm not wrong. So it's been a decade since that first conversation happened. And of course, I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, and and I I feel the same way about building what I call women's internet, where a gender poor country, we We have some sort of a demographic dividend. We have the largest number of educated women anywhere in the world because of the marriage market. Everybody's a graduate and above. Everybody wants an aspirational life. But those opportunities are either hiding or they are not available or those doors were closed so far. Where India stands today, I think a lot of women are saying, I have a phone. I have a UPI. I have, I know there's Instagram. I know there's Facebook. There's WhatsApp. I'm going to do something with it. So a lot of women are discovering their aspiration uh, in an articulated fashion for the first time. And it's out there. We've been building, a- building an ecosystem for them before it was a thing, before ecosystems were called ecosystems and communities were popping around the internet. And I think it's perfect because this could be a game changer for 100 million women finding finding a way to social and financial capital. So whether it comes from employment or it comes from being an entrepreneur or it comes from, uh, you know, building yourself a business or a startup, I think these are all uh, all things I personally think are, are you know, they're, they're worth investing your life in, you know, so To me, it plays out, it all adds, you know, Uh, I know (laughs) dots connect in hindsight, but I've always believed these dots will connect.
0: Fascinating. And I I just want to double click on this, you know, I mean, uh, what made you think about women as a separate entity on the internet? Right. And obviously the manifestation is from the society and internet becomes a platform. But what drove you towards that? And uh, I wanna bring up a controversial word uh, word, with the idea that you kind of decipher it for me in your context, Uh, feminist, feminism, right? Is it a streak of that? Or is it a genuine appreciation that there is this huge neglect in that segment on which your perspective as a woman is a lot more sharper than the rest of the
1: society. Here is the little stroke of luck that happened, right? I think my ability to sort of see this much early in the game happened because uh, I built a company in 99. Uh, I was still a student in Uh And uh, the word startup was very, alien. I didn't know this was what you call a startup. I didn't know there's a world called Venture. I didn't know there's a world called Exit. I think the most excitement for us was to get on ICQ because it's a messenger app and have a new email ID on Lycos.com or mailandnews.com was the height of like the maximum excitement one would get. But the truth is, um, I did end up building a company and I did end up learning how to build tech products. I did end up seeing a cycle of you know an idea on back of an envelope to an exit. Uh, very early in the game, You know, I think the only founders I know from that era are probably Vijay Shekhar and maybe Samjeeb Bidjandani and maybe Deep Kadra. So very different time. But what that did for me was it clearly said, hey, this is how you solve problems. Hey, there's a thing called internet, it's growing. Hey, there's a world of technology that's exploding in the world. So so when, when you know, probably all the major tech stories in the world were playing out, so whether it was a Yahoo or a PayPal, uh, you know, there was a sense of witness to to them. And then, you know, where I come from, small town India, Zafar Nagar, uh, you know, most of my classmates from high school were super sharp. We were the competitive generation. Everybody had to be a doctor. So the number of doctors my class produced is quite iconic. And most people were, you know, they they were super sharp and they uh, did end up doing something great but most women had sort of you know given up on their careers by the time we met for our first you know uh, high school reunion 10 years later so I think these are not hard to connect dots this in fact this truth is so evident it's so out there that you don't even want to like acknowledge it you know it's like the truth of poverty near our house it's just too near but because it's so stark, you never acknowledge it. You never sort of, you don't want to look at it. You, you want like, you hope it goes away, right? Without you having to do anything. And I think India's gender gap is one of those things. It still exists. I mean, look around. Uh, women don't make inheritance. We're still fighting for a lot of basic rights. I think it started with really, really basic rights, domestic violence. It started with rights to, right to inheritance, uh, workplace rights, uh, all of that, and I think where we stand today, the gap still is, is large, right? So if you look at venture, women make less than 2.5 percent of venture funding. If you look at priority sector, women make less than 10 percent of all priority sector loans. If you look at how many women own assets in this country or how many women use credit cards, this is data talking. This is not just my this is not just my life journey. I am able to just connect these dots because it's too. It's too near to me. And I I had the uh, privilege of seeing it from a very different perspective by building a tech company. So I think being a tech founder early on and being this girl from a Zafranavar from a big fat Punjabi family, I think these two are very sort of desperate data points that, that made me see things very uniquely. And where we are, look, if India doesn't bridge its gender gap, that $5 trillion economy we all have this wide hope for is not going to happen. So it's not just a a conversation around feminism. It's not just a a diversity thing. It It is compelling idea that will make a material difference to all our lives. It's not just for women. It is for all of us because, what are challenges today? 50% of our population is not contributing to GDP. 50% of our productive assets are not utilized. We are leaving behind a lot of people on the uh, on the journey probably could be entrepreneurial assets. So I think that is the leverage we have. And and yes, it's it's the right thing to do, and yes, it, it will change a little bit of the gender gap. But the answer is not simple. And therefore, our entire approach has been, you know, building a lot of these building blocks and taking a very, very long view of this whole story, uh, you know, going on. So, so net-net, I think uh, it's, it's a problem at a nation-building level. And it's not just something that, you know, and of course, we are playing like a little role in that entire piece. We're doing what we can with, with the skills and resources we have. But it is a bigger problem you know and the sooner we sort of look at it uh, you know and do something about it it's going to turn in our favor and if we don't do it you know there will be a price to pay at a very very high level
0: yeah, that's a that's a fascinating perspective you know connecting it to nation's aspiration as an economy uh, just want to drill down on this aspect again sairi uh, you know as an entrepreneur myself you know, by nature, frankly, I'm optimistic. And optimism also creates a bit of a bias, especially depending upon the background that you come from and who you are. So as a male entrepreneur, I never think that there is any gender bias or underestimation. I've got many colleagues who, in the technology side who are women. But do you think it exists? Have you experienced it? I'm just personally curious in asking this question. Of course. In India. It
1: exists at every level. Like, you know, so I don't know if, you know, even today if you apply for a visa to many countries, they will say, go bring your husband's permission. It's actually a letter that says permission. Okay. And uh, if you go, you know, I've been working since I was 19. I took a home loan, I don't know, a couple of years ago and from a large, you know, commercial bank. And. You know, they were like, why don't you take it with your husband because, you know, it'll get approved faster. Okay. And these things are still happening. I think the amount of venture women raise is a, is a telling to how invisible women are or women founders are uh, in the whole ecosystem. I think, I mean, yes, to simple answer, have I faced it? Very much. In fact, uh, you know, like sometimes I joke with my colleagues to say, if I had a penis, you know, we would have raised a lot more money. So, uh, for sure, you know, so I think uh, it's a thing and uh, uh, and more than that, look, our, our lives are still very privileged, you know, we found our 1% in India, we found our little, you know, tax paying status, we're okay, right? But if you look at where we are as a country, only 9% women work in formal workforce. Uh, you know, so a lot of women will probably never make it if we don't do enough. You know, and where is it going to reflect? It's going to reflect. You know, in our tax collection numbers, it's going to reflect in our GDP numbers. You know, uh, it's going to reflect. It's already is reflecting, and uh, uh, you know, and and I think uh, there there are just so many manifestations of this problem in our. The impact's going to come down on all because we are all going to pay a price for this, for this massive uh, gap that exists. And sometimes it, it comes in, you know, uh, social challenges and sometimes in economic challenges. So I think it's, it's really a deal. But as a, as a founder who works with women, I think uh, a lot of our learning has been that while there's a huge challenge, there's also, you know, times are changing, they're changing slowly in different ways. So Who'd have thought that internet can become the biggest source of agency for? Them? But it is, you know. That device is a personal device. You know, in India, everything a woman does is questioned. You know, and I'm not talking about the one percent liberal homes. I'm talking about, you know, all of you know, uh, you know, an average household, maybe an ambala or surab, you know, or shirali for that matter. And I think what that means is there is there's just a lot of, lot of opportunity available to us which we should leverage. We have, we have technology, we have a lot of awareness, we have a lot of demographic dividend. I mean, we, we have a lot of people who have gone to, through the education system, you know? So I know India led the IT outsourcing revolution. India needs to be the back office of the world. India needs to be the workforce and cloud for the world. India needs to have more women entrepreneurs funded than anywhere else. US is really not a benchmark for that. So I think there are a lot of playbooks that are waiting for us to be written. Women's internet is not a US story. Women's internet is an India story, and maybe it'll become a Southeast Asia story or Latin story, but it's not a US story. Similarly, look at some of the things we've cracked. Uh, You know, of course, we all know DPI and the digital stacks we're building. But Amul came out of India, you know? India needs more models that create win-win-win. You know, we need to create more ladders for people to climb up. So we need companies like Amul that are saying, hey, is my lowest community farmer winning? Is my uh, next level leader winning? Is my shareholder winning? Is my consumer winning? When they're all winning, I think we're creating a lot of value that has huge, a ripple effects on the kind of impact it can create, you know. So, at Shiro's, and now we are uh, creating Myla Money, which is a new bank for women. We think that this is the opportunity that when women win on our platform, there's a lot of wins that we that we catalyze, that we trigger not only for her family, but also for our customers, for the companies, for you know the larger ecosystem, for for the uh, you know. Financial services space for credit for private sector. I think just there are just a lot of uh, effects that that will you know will be the benefits when we do the right thing.
0: Women's internet in India story. Uh, that's going to be a phrase that I'm going to be uh, reminiscing on a lot. So uh, sorry, last question. Really, what's the best advice that you have received till date?
1: The best advice. Um, you know, I mean, founders really shouldn't be giving advice. They have made so many mistakes that uh, they've probably made all the mistakes that possibly uh, could could have been made. But I do believe, um, so many years ago, somebody told me, um, it goes back to what I said about Mahushala. I think, uh to me the power of simplicity of one idea one one space not having to think about why. you know not having distractions in your life is a gift you know not having to worry about your life's purpose is a gift and yes you don't get too easily but i think you don't give up easily i think today you know a lot of our idea of success is Quick and dirty, let's get on with it, let's create a unicorn three years and get out. The truth is, all great institutions came out of a lot of, lot of thought that went behind them, a lot of in, carrying everybody along. So to me, persisting is important, and I would say persist and you know, persevere in whatever you really care for. And I think take the time to figure out what you really care for. Uh, I was a little lucky, I found it maybe early early in my own career, but uh, sticking to that one thing for adequate period of time is super important, you know, and look at the founders around us, look at Deep, look at Vijay, look at uh, just so many of them, even, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, I may not agree with a lot of what he does, but, you know, he's... didn't sell off his company he stuck to it he's built it he's built a lot of value on the table Uh, i like the amul playbook i like companies that have a long-term view on their spaces uh, have a long-term view of your life your life uh, is just one life so to make it count you know you need roots you know like a tall tree can only come you know the sequoia tree and the bugger tree they don't have to easily. So take the time to do that, because uh, it's not just for you, it's for everyone around you. It's it's what you leave behind.
0: That's really wonderful. I mean, focus as a superpower. So pursuing a single idea with a very, very long term view. And I know how tough that is. So I can completely relate to that. Thank you so much for your time, Sairi. This was a pleasure. And I'm sure our listeners will find immense joy out of listening to this session with you. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you for having me.